Good evening. So today we'll be talking about a passage that's probably very, um, very common passage that you've been heard that you've been hearing a lot as you've been going to church. And um, I like you. Well, I like before saying anything. I'd like to say uh, bonjour to our special guest. Bonjour. And bonjour to Kimi. She's here tonight, so <laughs> quite excited about that. All right, so if you want to turn to your Bibles in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. I'll be reading from verse 14. And it says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith in which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Before we go any further, I'm just going to pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you so much for your word, God. I thank you for, um, because you, you've breathed the word, God. And I just pray that um, you're going to use your Holy Spirit to work in the student's heart tonight. And I pray that you'll be giving me the words as I speak. Pray this is in your precious name. Amen. Okay. So today, we do live in an age of apostasy. We live in an age where truth is constantly being under attack. The past week, for one of my class, I've been reading the textbook called The Truth War. And this is written by John MacArthur. And the main purpose, I believe, of The Truth War is to challenge every Christian to be aware of the spiritual battle that is going on today. To be aware that the truth is constantly under attack and that we need to stand to defend the truth but also to have discernment to identify apostasy. I had um, Summer read from Jude and Jude, especially verses 3 and 4, summarize what the truth war is. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, pretty much what Jude said here is that His first intent was to write about salvation, but God has put something else on his heart. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. That's what we're supposed to do. And then he says why. Which was once delivered unto the saints, for there are certain men crept in unawares. There are men who have crept in, and some people are not aware that they're there, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, these men deny the Lord God, Jesus Christ. So, this is the truth war. And I just want to say a little something again, a quote from this book. And I think this is the situation that our church is in today. The visible church today is filled with people who have decided that biblical discernment, doctrinal boundaries, and the authority of divinely revealed truth are worn-out relics of a bygone era. Era, sorry. They are wary of the battle for truth, and, in effect, they have already unilaterally ceased resistance. Christians today often actually 
seem more distressed about believers who think the truth war is still worth fighting for than about the dangers of false doctrine. Let me read that last sentence again. Christians today often actually seem more distressed about believers who think the truth war is still worth fighting than about the dangers of false doctrine. So, when I was reading this passage, and especially in the context in which uh, Paul was writing this, I think it's really fit that we realize what the, the importance of God's Word is for us as men and women of God. So, what I'm going to be talking about today is that the men of God must have a solid conviction of the Word of God. But also, you must follow the clear application of the Word of God. And lastly, we'll be talking about how the men of God will experience the effects of the Word of God. So, looking at our text today, the first aspect that I see, again, in verse 14 and 15, it talks a lot about the convictions of the Word of God. And the first thing that Paul is uh, telling Timothy is the ground. What is our ground? And he starts with this word, but. Okay, those who have taken Genesis class, you all know that whenever you read this, you need to say, but. You know? <laughs> but it's true. Like, when I, when I look at my passage, I look at the first word, and then the first word is but. So, and I remember Genesis class. Okay, I need to look, what does it refer to? What is the contrast? And then here, Paul was contra- contrasting uh, the evil men that were spoken of in verse 13. It says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So they are evil men. But, Paul says that Timothy was to continue. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. To me, this is the ground. The word continue is also to abide. Timothy was to stay where he was. He was to take deep root in where he was. Timothy had learned things. He had he was being assured of some things. And what he was supposed to do is to be it was to continue in those things and continue in steadfastness so that nobody was able to shake him from this ground. I have written something that I thought was pretty neat. Doubts and uncertainties concerning the word of God will never result in moral and spiritual stability. Let me read that again. Doubts and uncertainties concerning the Word of God will never result in moral and spiritual stability. We need a solid ground. So that's why Paul was saying, Timothy, you have learned some things. You've been assured of some things. We'll continue in those things. Abide in them. And then we read of our assurance and our convictions. He said, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So of whom in most manuscripts is plural. So we would think that there are multiple sources. I think one of them would definitely be Paul, because if you read in 2 Timothy 1.13, it says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me, Paul speaking, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Then in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, And the thing that thou hast heard of me, again, Paul, among my many witnesses, the same commit to thou faithful men, um, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And then again, in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, charity, patience. I think it's really obvious that Paul is probably one of the sources where um, Timothy had learned what he was uh, assured of. 
But also, if you remember the first time Ryan preached, he was talking about um, chapter 1, verse 5. And it says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelled first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So it would be likely that the of whom, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, would refer to Paul, most likely to his grandmother Lois and to his mother Eunice. But because, um, as we're going to read a little bit later, is that um, they taught him the Holy Scriptures. So now, our assurance comes from godly people. And then it says here, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, what I was just saying. Here the word child really speaks of infancy. So it's not necessarily someone who was 16 years old, but really a little child who was probably just starting to speak. And um, that's when, that's the idea here, that's when he started to know the Holy Scriptures. So at that time, when Timothy was being taught those things, they only had the whole Old, the whole Old Testament. Like the New Testament was not canonized yet. So it is really... Um, it's, it would be okay to believe that um, his mother and grandmother were teaching him the Holy Scriptures, which was the Old Testament. Um, yes, I was going to say, um, Paul was saying, Paul was reminded Timothy that he had learned these things because he was telling him, you know what, there are men right now who are creeping in the church. You know, there are evil men who are deceived and being de- who are deceiving and being deceived. And he said, remember the things that you have learned when you were young. Like he wants him to be assured that he, what he was learning when he was young was from a valid source, which was the Holy Scriptures. Then, I'd like to say, maybe some of you have been raised in a Christian home. Uh, a home where the Bible was taught at a very young age. Maybe the first verse that you've memorized, you were like three years old or two years old or probably not younger than that, but some of you have learned the Bible at a very young age. And you know what? You have to be thankful for that because for Timothy, it was something that he needed to be reminded of saying, hey, you've learned the Holy Scriptures at a young age. Thank your mother and your grandmother for that. This is a reason why you can be strong in your ministry. This is why you have clear convictions. This is why you can be assured of what you've been learning. But at the same time, maybe some of you may be saved just for only a few years ago, you know. Maybe you've never heard the word, like, Jesus before, uh, I don't know, two years ago. I don't know. Some of you are still quite young in their faith and haven't been taught the Bible at a young age. But the truth of the matter is, I think that when reading such a passage, instead of being like, oh, I wish... I think it sets a good example. I think for us, like we're all young adults. Some of us are getting married soon. Um, I don't know where Alan is, but anyways. Maturity. Oh, there you are. See, some people are engaged, right? And I don't know, we're just getting, we're getting out of our teenage. We're getting into adulthood. Adult, adulthood. And um, like, it's a truth. It's a reality that eventually we'll have children, but what are we going to do? You know, I think it's really important that we teach the Bible really, really, really young to our children because we live in an age where right now apostasy is, is present. It's there. And they're creeping into churches. But not only it is creeping, but like 
who tells us that in 20 years it won't be worse? So might as well start building a strong foundation in our children's life at a young age. I know a lot of us don't have children, but I just think it's something that we should be praying for and looking forward to. Because we don't want our children to be slipping in their, from their commitment to the truth. Then, second part of verse 15, I see our salvation, which is a really big part of our conviction. It says, The holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. See, we have the Bible. It's not any other book. The Bible is the only book who can make a sinner wise enough to see his need for salvation. There's power in the Bible. Any average reader can read the Bible and understand the concept of salvation. Any reader, any average reader can read the Bible and say, I, I, I think I know how I could get saved. That's how God spoke in His Word. He spoke clearly so that we can be um, saved. That's what it says here, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. I think it's quite something just to realize that God has breathed His Word so that we, have, we can have knowledge of salvation. John MacArthur also said in his book, The Truth War, on page 183, he said, Truth is not any individual's option, opinion or imagination. Truth is what God decrees, and He has given us an infallible source of saving truth in His, really, in his revealed Word. He's given us a, f- a source, infallible, that means it cannot fail, so that we can have, we can know for sure the saving truth. And then it says at the last part of verse 15, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I'd like you to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. It says, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. So, there are people who have heard the gospel. They've heard it preached. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Faith is the most, I don't know if it's the most important, but faith is a, a crucial point in our salvation. And it said it here in our passage in Timothy, that our salvation is through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We cannot separate salvation and faith. That's impossible. Faith is really important. We don't get saved by just understanding. We get saved by our faith. And I think it's really, really important that Paul placed those words right here. Because just before he was saying how there are evil men, seducers, deceiving, being deceived. There are people today that are going to say, no, you can't be saved by doing good works. You're going to be saved by going to church. You're going to be saved by giving money, by following the Ten Commandments. You can be saved by doing all of that. Or Galatians, the Judaizers, yeah, it's grace plus law. You know, they, they try to make their own gospel. But Paul says here, he says, you know what, the, the Bible gives, makes you wise enough to know how to be saved. 
but also like it's through faith in Christ Jesus. I think it's really um, important that we realize that verses 14 and 15 are just making sure that Timothy understands his convictions and that he knows the ground of his conviction, the assurance where it came from, from godly people and from the Holy Scriptures, but also that his salvation is through faith. And then we're going to move on to the application of the Word of God. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I'm just going to stop here for now. Turn with me to 2 Peter 1.21. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. So, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. It says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Again, uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. If you're taking notes, take notes of those references because I'll be just saying a little something about it after. The first one was 2 Peter 1.21 and this one is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, Which things also we speak, not in the words which men's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. And then coming back again to our passage, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Okay. When we go out there, the inspiration of God's word is one of the doctrine that is mostly attacked. Paul was clearly saying that to Timothy. is saying, there are people who are going to come and deny that. He's, a, he's giving him a reminder. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So really, the Scripture is the work of the Holy Spirit. He influenced the Old Testament prophets to write. I wrote this here. God is the full and complete agent. Scripture. Holy men of God are only His instruments. I'd like to share a little something. And maybe all that I've been saying so far is going to just come up to something that's going to be a bit more practical to you guys. Um, as I was reading this passage, I was reminded of something that happened a few weeks ago. Um, you might remember the outreach event that we had in Woodstock. Well, Graham, Corey, and I witnessed to a guy. This man was a biology teacher. We talked to him for a very, very long time. He was really into this post-modernism post -modernism, um, way of thinking. What post-modernism is, is that, well, you can't say that there's truth because we can never ever be sure of what truth is. They don't, they don't think that there is certainty. They don't believe in that. They say, well, if truth works for you and maybe something else works as truth for someone else, well, it must be, they must be both true or something. You know, to them, there's not one absolute truth. And I remember talking to this guy and trying to say, listen, this is what we believe in because this is God's word. And I say, I believe that this is the truth. And you said, but I don't agree. So it kind of caught me off guard, to be honest. I said, well, I believe that the Bible has no error in it. He said, but that's not true. 
He said, well, the Bible says that bats are birds. And at that moment, I was like, well, I know it's not true, but like, I didn't know how to explain it. I, I didn't even remember reading it. So I wasn't going to say like, uh, well, no, it's not true. And then try to come up with an excuse. You know, I, I didn't research it myself. But really, the point is that he was plain denying that God's word was not true. He said, this is not God's word. This is full of errors. He said, why, why is your book better than the other books? And when we're here at school, it's, it's easy to say, yeah, well, this is God's word. Like, I'm, I'm doing my devotions in God's word. It's, it's taken for granted. We all agree on the fact that this is God's word. There's no problem. There's no question here. But when we go out there in the world, it is a big deal. They won't, people won't say, yeah, I agree, this is God's word. That's not true at all. Especially today, they say, no, there, there's no truth. We can never be no. Some people will say, we're close to the truth, but we're not actually there yet. What are you going to do about that? If that man was in front of you, what would you say? He's plain telling me, this is not true. And here's what he told me. I said, no, I believe this is God's word. And he said, but nowhere in any books did God put his initials. And I said, wait a minute. And I turned here to 2 Timothy 3.16. And I said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. I said, he's behind all of it. He breathed the whole scripture. And you know what was his answer? Nothing. He just moved on to something else. He just switched another subject. He couldn't say anything about that. But do you realize, though, that people out there are going to say, this is not God's word. Like, this is not true. This is a bunch of errors. Like, do you really believe in that? Do you really believe in sacrificing lambs and stuff, you know? Do you really believe you're a priest and you're a girl? Like, things like that? It's true. But Paul says here, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is God's word. God is behind, is behind every single letter too. I'd like you to turn to Galatians 3.16 just for a moment. I think this is really neat. Galatians 3.16. It says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is in Christ. See, there's, like Paul is just defending an argument. He's saying, it's not seeds with an S, it's seed, singular. And this, that seed is Jesus Christ. So God, when he promised the seed, he was talking of one person. So God's word is so accurate that it's behind every single letter of the Bible. That's how wonderful and powerful God's word is. So that's why Paul is telling Timothy, you know what? Be, you have strong convictions and continue with them. But then he's saying, okay, but this is God's word. It's inspired. But it's also profitable for many things. The first thing is profitable for doctrine doctrine or teaching. It's good for teaching the true saving facts. Because we said that the Bible makes us wise unto salvation. Well, then we can teach doctrine. We can't... I, I read that. I thought that was pretty cool. 
It sets forth the mind of God, teaching us doctrines such as the Trinity, angels, men, sin, salvation, sanctification, the church, and future heavens. God's Word has set forth His mind for us. He's revealing all these wonderful truths to us so that we can have a better knowledge of who He is, but also a better knowledge of what He's created. It's all in the Bible. That's the first step, you know. We need to be taught these things. And then... It, the, uh, God's Word is profitable for reproof. Reproof could also be refutation or rebuke. You can turn to 1 Timothy 5.20. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 5.20, it says, sorry, 5.20, it says, Them that sin rebuke before all, that others, that others may also may fear. It doesn't say, Rebuke to make his life miserable. He says, no, rebuke that people can learn from this, that they may be afraid of sinning again. It's important that we rebuke and reprove the way Scripture meant it to be. Um, what we need to be refuting is we can refute religious lies, falsehood, the delusions that deny these saving facts. I was talking about that man on the street, but there are people in the churches too who are going to pretend this is apostasy. Apostasy is someone who's heard the truth but hasn't believed in the truth in, with, with faith. Um, I like to say that the Word of God is really powerful for one reason, and according to reproof. It has the power of any other sacred writings or any other philosoph- philo- philo- I'm going to read it. philosophical writing. I think that was good. <laughs> it has the power to convict sinners, to convict people of sin. That's quite amazing. And God's Word can do that. Again, I'd like to quote something else from the Truth War. It says at page 95, Scripture has always been contrary to worldly culture. We need to allow Scripture to rebuke and correct the spirit of our age, and never vice versa. When that man was talking to us, I was supposed to use God's word and show him the truth and not him show me the truth with his belief. That's contrary to what God's word is. Then, God's word is also profitable for correction. Something that the Bible does is it doesn't only point out what's wrong, but it also um, sets forth the way to make things right. The main purpose of correcting a brother in Christ is for his restoration. Just across the page, read uh, 2 Timothy 2.25. It says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure, if God preadventure will give them repentance to them acknowledging of the truth. God wants people to be repenting through instructing. We need to correct also the false teaching. And we need to do this by grace, mercy, and love. But most importantly, we need to do this with the Word of God. It's powerful because it's breathed by God. The Holy Spirit speaks through His Word. We don't always need to enter into big arguments or into um, strife and things like that. That's not necessary. We just need to speak God's Word. 
Then the last thing for what the Bible is profitable for is instruction in righteousness. Literally, instruction here is really child training. You see, some believers may be quite mature, well-grown, well, full-grown, should I say, but maybe they've just been saved. And maybe they're just babies in their faith. But like any children, you know, when we want to instruct them something, what do we do? Let's say uh, tying her, the, the child's shoelaces. Are you going to take the shoe and throw it at him and say, do it? No, <laughs> of course not. What are you going to do? You're going to go down at his level and say, okay, this is how I do it. And then you show him slowly, step by step. And then you say, oh wait, you did it wrong. You help him. And then, okay, you have a really hard time. Let me do the first one for you and then I'll do the second one. You know, it takes patience. It takes kindness. You don't just like give him a manual this big to say, this is how you tie your, your, your shoes. You know, that's how it's done. So it's the same thing with righteousness. Instructing in righteousness, we go step by step. We go with patience. And God's Word can do that for us. God's Word has given us all the steps that we need to know. And it's all revealed in, in a way that we can understand it. It's amazing to realize that. So after considering all these things that the Bible is profitable for, we, we realize that no other book can do that. It's, it's a special book. It's a powerful book because God is behind it. And Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy these things because in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the words, be instant in season and season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Suppose to teach these things and to instruct them and to preach them, not just keep it for himself. And then, the last point, verse 17 we see the effects, effects as in like results of the Word of God. And the first thing that I see here is perfecting the men of God. So, um, the men of God literally means men belonging to God. So, it's not just a certain person who is a man of God. I think that we could use this term and apply it to every believers, true, genuine believers in Christ. So we could read it, man of God, or woman of God. What is the man of God to be? He's to be made perfect, that may be perfect. Here the word perfect, the, the Greek word for it is artios, used only once in the Bible here. It's spoken of a religious teacher who should be wanting in nothing, should not need anything. In other words, perfect here should be read complete. This is, why it's God, this is what God's word is for us. It's to make us complete, not wanting anything. God is not saying, <laughs> yeah, I wrote that. God is not saying that we're going to be perfect because I wished, but yeah, oh well. Maybe in a new life. Yeah, really, we need to use God's word to become complete and to come into maturity in our Christian life. Then it says that we need to be thoroughly furnished. That means equipped fully. The man of God will find all he needs to teach doctrine, to reprove with truth, to correct, to instruct in righteousness, 
He's going to find all of that in the Word of God. God inspired His Word. He's given us His Word so that we can do all these things, that we can be equipped, whether it's for ministry, whether it's for um, when you're going to be in your family, witnessing, whether you're going to be at work, witnessing there, being a good testimony. God has given us anything that we need. As students here at school, we're being equipped. The teachers take time and patience. They dedicate their lives to this school and to serve the Lord so that we can be equipped, so that when we get out of here, we have what's necessary. Then we'll see what, what we need to be um, equipped with. It says that we be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I'd like you to turn to Ephesians 2. Sorry, I'm making you turn a lot, but it's really important here. Ephesians 2, chapter 8, verse, yeah, chapter 2, verse 8 to 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. We are not saved by works. It says it here in verse 9. Not of works, lest any mention both. We're saved by the grace of God. It is His gift. And we need to have faith. But we're saved so that we can do good works for His glory. God has made us His workmanship. He wants us to do the work for Him. Those are the kind of good works that we were talking in Second uh, Timothy that the men of God should be doing. I read this here and that's, I thought that was pretty cool. Good works are not the root, but the fruit. Good works is not the root of our salvation, but it's the fruit of our salvation. And we need to be equipped to bear the fruits of the good works. Again, I want to come to that man that I was talking to about. Graham and I and Corey were talking to this man. And towards the end of our conversation, he said, I don't like religion because they never get along. They always fight. It just creates a lot of trouble in the world. And we agreed. We said, that's true. That's a true statement. There's a lot of contention. There's a lot of fighting over different beliefs. That's true. And then even went on to say, Catholicism, do you know how the bad things they did, like in, in the past, like just really wrong things they've done? And we agreed. We said, you know what? Catholicism is not perfect. And we said, it's, what they did was wrong, obviously. He said, to me, the most important thing is that we do good. We do good to our neighbors, that we serve, that we do good works. That, that, for him, good works spoke a lot. To him, that was a good evidence of someone's, that someone was special or someone was good. And you know what? He's right. He's so Right. As men and women of God, we need good works. We need to, when people see us work, well, when people see us live, when people see us in the community, when they see us just living life normally, they should be able to say, that person is Christian. Why? Because of our good works. He's so right when he said that. He wasn't right on everything he said, but when he said that people are just fighting over religion and they just create disagreement and it's just like to him religion equals with conflict 
And he said, this is why it's not true. Well, I understand his reasoning because some people claim to have the truth, but they don't necessarily do anything about it. Their good works are not manifested. Last week, Ryan was talking about people who were facing persecution. He said, all will face persecution. Those who will face persecution are those who are in Christ. But he challenged us saying, I'm trying to, the way he said it. He said, um, he said, if you live life and people don't see that you live for Christ, well, they won't have anything to persecute you for. You know, he said, those who are persecuted is because they live for Christ and it's evident and people don't like that. People are against them. So his encouragement was that, is your life really reflecting Christ? Is your life, are you really living for Christ? Does it show? Does it show through your works? And if so, but then yes. This verse applies to you. Then yes, you will face persecution. You know? So, as men and women of God, we need to be furnished for the good works to show the evidence of our salvation. Um, I was just going to share quickly six points that William MacDonald um, shared in his commentary. Just a way that we can find the good works that God has planned for us. Because again, in Ephesians, he said that um, for we were, in uh, verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10, for we are, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. God has ordained us to do good works for him. And here's six practical steps that he said that we should be doing in order to know those good works that we should be um, doing. He said, first of all, confess and forsake sin as soon as we are conscious of it in our lives. Second, be continually and unconditionally yielded to him. Three, study the word of God to discern his will and then do whatever he tells us to do. Four, spend time in prayer each day. Five, seize the, uh, seize the opportunities of service as they arise. And then six, cultivate the fellowship and counsel of other Christians. God prepares us for good works, he says. He prepares good works for us to perform. Then he rewards us when we perform them, such is his grace. We, we might do things that are hard. We might do... Um, we might go outside of our comfort zone to do something good for someone else. And sometimes we get discouraged because we don't get the reward right away. Right away. But the truth is that God is always going to reward our good works for Him and for His glory. So, as I'm going to conclude, I'm going to try and make this really practical to you. We're going all home for break. We're going out... I'm. I don't know if that's the right way of illustrating it, but NBBI is sort of a bubble. You know, we're in the bubble. And outside, there's something else. Okay, I know it's hard because we're on campus, but you know what? It's good that we're in a bubble because there are boundaries. We are protected, in a way, so that we can grow and that we can take deep root in God's Word. Cherish the time that we have here. Be thankful for it because I'm telling you, I'm in my second year and a half, and time is going by really, really fast. And I'm almost done. It's scary. But it's okay. It's good. So as we're here, it's great because we can really build a strong foundation for when we go out there. But break is when we're put to the test. Break is when we talk to people who say, this is not God's word. Break is when people are going to say, 
yeah, but explain me this and that. I don't understand why bats are called birds because they're supposed to be mammals. Which is true to our charts today, but anyways, that's apologetics. And but it's true. People out there are going to be like that. And it, it might be even people in your family. For me, I, I love my cousins. I have two cousins. One, his name is Maxim and Marc Olivier. I pray often for them. Often when Mr. Doherty asks us to pray for two people and save that we want them to be saved, those are the people I pray for. I love them. They're younger than me. One is uh, 17, the other one 15. They are extremely brilliant. They're smart people. And my two cousins are like brothers to me. I love them. But it's hard to share my faith with them. I, I struggle a lot with it. It's hard. Why? Because I know that when I'm going to... I'm not going to just expose the plan of salvation to them and they won't just be like, oh yeah. They'll have questions. They'll have questions and they're going to say, but how do you know that what you believe is true? It's, we take it for granted that God's word is true. Jesus said it himself. He said, sanctify them to thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's word is truth. We know it. We believe it by faith. But others out here, out there, they don't necessarily believe it. And the fact is that happens in our churches too. And we need discernment for that. But as for us, men and women of God, we have God's word, the sword, for our spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. How are we going to use it? We are to base our convictions on God's word. And we need to stand on our ground without slipping easily to any attack against it. We need to realize that God's word is profitable for every believer. But also we need to apply God's word and to be made complete, mature, and fully equipped on good works so that people can see it. So again, you're going home. Are you going to be really able to say, no, this is God's word and I'm going to stand for it? If you have a hard time believing it, maybe it's because you're ground. Maybe it's because your convictions in it are not necessarily as strong as they should be. I'm just going to close with this quote. Again, from the textbook, The Truth War. By the way, if you're coming for three years, you will be most likely reading that book in ethics class. But if not, I encourage you to read it. It's a good challenge. It's a good challenge to engage in the spiritual warfare that's there today. John MacArthur says on page 184, whenever Christians have contended earnestly for the faith, referring to Jude 3, the church has grown and the cause of truth has prospered. May it be so in our time. Are you going to contend for the faith? I'm going to pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for your inspired word. I thank you so much that you've breathed through your Holy Spirit in your word, God. I just pray that we'll take your word as the truth, Lord. And that when we go out there on break, that we're going to say, this is God's word, this is the truth, and I believe in it. And that we will let no one shake our foundation. We'll let no one shake our ground and let us slip from our commitment for the truth, Lord. I just pray that the students here will be encouraged. I pray that they won't be scared to those who say that there's no such thing as truth, Lord. Your word is powerful, and I just pray that you can allow us to use your word and use us to speak your word, God. So Lord, I pray that this will be in people's heart tonight, God, and I just pray that they will make it really um, practical during break and that you do it 
this name in my life. I pray this is your precious name. Amen. Thank you.